Beyond the Headline with Aldrin Simpia, right here on SAFM. It is seven minutes after five o'clock and it is time for the interview. Today, we're in conversation with Advocate Mujangu Kumbi, who is a Chancellor um, for the University of Venda, as well as Special Advisor to the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, former um, former President Tabumbeki's legal advisor as well. She's now joining us on the line as we have a conversation about South Africa's judiciary and also how the South African judiciary can be used as a transformative tool. The late Chief Justice Pius Langer famously wrote, The Constitution is located in a history which involves a transition from a society based on division, injustice and exclusion from the democratic process to one which respects the dignity of all citizens and includes all in the process of governance. As such, the process of interpreting the Constitution must recognize the context in which we find ourselves and the Constitution's goal of our society based on democratic values and social justice and fundamental human rights. This spirit of transition and transformation characterizes the constitutional enterprise as a whole. Advocate Mujangu Kumbi is now joining us on the line. Advocate, good afternoon. Thank you so much for making time for us. Good afternoon, Aldrin. Thanks for having me. Advocate, what would your assessment be of uh, South Africa's current jurisprudence and also how the um, judiciary can be used as a tool for transformation? Well, first of, first of all, let me say, Aldrin, that the judiciary is bound by the Constitution. I hear many people say we have an independent judiciary. Yes, it is independent, but it is not independent of the Constitution. So the quotation that you just read from Justice Langer is is a guide for the judiciary to say you are part and parcel of and are bound by this constitution. Now that constitution really right through the constitution, the issue of transformation runs right through the constitution. You know, the very first provision of the constitution tells us that we, the people of South Africa, recognize the injustices of the past. So the courts, all of them from the Constitutional Court right down to the Magistrate Court, must give effect to that imperative to transform the country. Now, I watch, you know, I follow most of the decisions coming out of the court, and I must tell you that I worry about about the direction that our courts are taking. There's a lot of legalese that comes out of the courts and less of the transformative mandate that comes out of the Constitution, that comes out of our courts. And I think we need to always remind the courts, we need to remind the judges, we need to remind the magistrates that, you know, this country has a history and this constitution seeks to correct that history. That is the fundamental basis upon which we are building a new society going forward. And and I worry that I don't see that. And, and part of it, in my view, let me just end, is that we tend to think that, you know, courts and like, especially the constitutional court, we tend to want to see judges and, and lawyers there for us, that court is an equity court, and equity is not the preserve of lawyers at all. 
anyone can really dispense equity saving on that court. Yeah. So so how should we understand what you've just put forward now, Advocate, also on the backdrop of the argument that people would sometimes put forward in saying that um, judges and magistrates are there to interpret the law and not necessarily rewrite the law and therefore what they have at their disposal is a basis of interpretation of the law, the laws that have been made by lawmakers, which are the politicians. Yes. The Constitutional Court, the, the Superior Court are there. When you appear before the court and say, this has gone wrong, they have to look at what the provisions of the law say. But they also have to look at what the Constitution says. So, for instance, take the case where the flying of the flag, the old apartheid flag, came before the court. There the Mujabili no case, law. yeah. Yeah, there's no law that regulates, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, you can have it in your private space or in a public space or something. It revolved around a, an interpretation of what constitutes hate speech, you know, what constitutes, uh, you know, behavior that is not appropriate in terms of the Constitution. You know, you won't find the elements of everything around the flag. You may, yes, the flag is, you know, the design of the flag and what the colors mean are set out in the schedule of the Constitution. But you won't find anywhere in the Constitution or a law that says you can't display such and such a flag or such and such a flag. They don't, they don't always interpret an act of parliament. They have to interpret conduct as well. Whether conduct you know, is in line with the constitutional provisions. So if I come before the court, Aldrin, and I say uh, parliament did this and that and that, there may not be an act of parliament that regulates that, you know, but they will be, they judge that conduct against the provisions of the constitution. Mm-hmm. So before we go to some examples, and by the way, um, we're also taking your calls on 086-000-2032, voice notes on 0614-104-107. You can also drop us an X at Aldrin Simpier. Our studio line is 086-000-2032. So Advocate Gumbi, what sometimes happens is that you, you, you also get told that what the courts are also doing is that they also face limitations in that they need to respect the separation of power. So when you adjudicate conduct, and if that conduct um, doesn't go against the, 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 the legislation that is in place, does that go as far as saying, but now you are playing in a space that you shouldn't be playing in? Not always. Not always, Alden. Yes, the courts should not you know, play in the space of parliament. They should not play in the space of government, which is the executive. But they don't only regulate the conduct that is set out in an act of parliament. No, they don't. Not always. I mean, if you look at, uh, I don't, I don't want to keep going to examples, but if you look at, at, uh, let's see what what case before the court. I mean, I've talked about the 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 flag. Uh, if you look at the death penalty, mm-hmm. let's see. You know the Makwanyana case. They were interpreting a provision of the constitution about what it means to say you have a right to life. You know any other court could interpret it otherwise, to say yeah the right to life is okay, but you know 
the death penalty is fine. You know, the Americans have the death penalty on their statute. So you are not interpreting, strictly interpreting an act of parliament. There may be an act of parliament that says if Eldrin is convicted of murder, he can be sentenced to death. You know, the Criminal Procedure Act may provide for that. But when they say, is the right to life, does it exclude the death penalty? They were interpreting the Constitution very directly, not an act of parliament. And they are not, they are not really, you know, it's not overreach as they do. But uh, they do sometimes, yeah, they do. In my view, <laughs> they do cross the line sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, courts really, I mean, the, the judgments are opinions, really. So, you know, if you have 10 lawyers, you may have 15 opinions. Well, advocate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> advocate Dalim Pofu would say, I feel I'm vindicated here. And some people would say, but what is advocate Gumbi arguing here, saying that it's merely just opinions? No, I mean, they are decisions of the courts, they bind us, but they really are the opinions of, that's why you sometimes have two differing yeah. opinions coming out of the court, which is a majority and a minority decision, because they hold different opinions about the same facts that are before them. Yeah. So I'm not saying it to, to, to denigrate the courts. No, decisions of courts are binding, but they, they do hold differing opinions from time to time. Because it's also based on interpretation, and we know that um, our backgrounds and where we come from also does inform how we interpret the law and how we understand the behavior that, 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 that you speak of. What would you say, Advocate Gumbi, if you look at the judgments that have come out of uh, the courts, especially the Constitutional Court, that is signaling to you um, that there is some concern here and we must raise the red flag? Well, you know, the, I, I mean, I, I have a, I, I divide them into the old and the new. In the olden days, I was I still am very worried about the judgment of of uh, Justice Muhammad, who I admire very much as a jurist. But when he was dealing with cases coming out of the Constitutional Court, the Azapo matter, mm-hmm. he really just decided to hide behind the separation of power issue. Because the essential question there was whether you can equate apartheid with acts that were committed in opposition to apartheid. You know, the, those, those have a different moral value, and you find that in the Constitution. That's why the Constitution calls upon us to deal with the injustices of the past. What are those injustices? So how do you think that what apartheid did is the same as what the people who were opposing that unjust crime against humanity, you know? So that Justice Muhammad then said, no, if they wanted to say that, they would have put it in the Constitution expressly. I think that he was really just trying to to run away from, from you know, this, this difficult issue. But this was early in the days. Yeah. Now, the, the one of the current, I mean, the more current cases was in the SEA where the court had to deal with the, the, the special dispensation that the Minister of Tourism had, had put in place during COVID to support uh, black uh, uh, players in the tourism industry. Mm-hmm. Now, the courts there took a formalistic approach because the minister, yes, the minister used, said, we are addressing COVID, 
But we are also not going to neglect the fact that as we address COVID, we also need to address this historical imbalance that you find that the small tourism operators uh, that are black are, are affected more than the you know, historically white ones. Now, there's nothing wrong with using two policies. They they don't depend on one another. BEE addresses, uh, you know, correcting the imbalances of the past. Uh, COVID intervention addressed a public health issue. But there's nothing that says that you cannot rest on both legs. <laughs> As you address COVID, you also deal with addressing imbalances of the past. But the course adopted a formalistic approach to say that two acts have got different, uh, uh, I mean, are meant to address different issues. So the minister can't say that I, the BE Act, you know, says that I must consider BE when I give licenses or or grants and all of that because the COVID the, the Disaster Management Act addresses a different matter. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's fine. They can, and the minister may have presented a case, you know, not not in a in a you know because lawyers also may. The case so judges sometimes depend on what lawyers put before them but if you are a constitutional court or a supreme court of appeal that is aware of this need that i say to redress the past which runs right through our constitution including the constitution writing about uh, about procurement you yep. would know that you can do that so that case <laughs> really still gives me a little bit of, of palpitations. Also. Yeah, because the court says that, that her error was material because it distorted her discretion in the sense that it caused her to fail to apply a man properly to the criteria that should have been used um, for eligibility. So does this mean also from your end, um, Advocate Gumbi, that um, when we when we look at the injustices of the past and we look at redress, that does that become the first test before we deal with the question of equality? It's the first sentence in our constitution. You know, it's our founding provision that says we have to look at the injustices of the past. And then, as I say, Aldrin, it runs right through the constitution. You know, if you go to to the the uh, chapter two. The, the of our constitution where we set out all our 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 rights mm-hmm. and, and and all of that. The Bill of you Rights. You find that the Bill of Rights, yes. You find that even before we deal with equality itself, the the provision before that tells you that you can take measures to address this this imbalances of the past. So it. It is, a, it is, and that Bill of Rights binds the courts as well. So it is so clear that our constitution, you know, is all about redressing the injustices of the past. And it, it, it couldn't do otherwise because our country was defined by that racial divide. And, and it's not academic, it's black people that were excluded. I mean, it's not, we're not fighting with white people. But it's just the truth 
When our constitution says you have to look at previously disadvantaged people, those are white, black people, black in the sense including colors and, and Indians or so-called colors and Indians. That's who we are. That's why our constitution is different from other constitutions, because it reflects our particular history. Yeah. So you can't be a court that ignores that fact. You can't give us a colorblind jurisprudence, you know? 0614-104-107. You can drop us an X at Aldrin Simpia. Our studio line is 086-000-2032. we in conversation with the advocate Gumbi as we look at the concept of transformative constitutionalism and also looking at the judiciary as a tool for that transformation. Good afternoon, Aldrin, and the advocate there, Flores here from the Western Cape. Aldrin, I heard the advocate saying she's worried about the direction courts are taking and in particular, she's mentioning judges. Uh, is it high court judges that she's worried about, or constitutional judges, or just judges overall? And what are the constitutional mandate that some of them uh, deviate from? Have a good show. Bye-bye. Okay, and let's quickly go to Zola, who's joining us from Bloemfontein. Zola, good evening. Hi, Zola, can you hear us? Yes. Sure, uh, you can go ahead. Yeah, uh, my, my question was that uh, during the last days of the Section 192 inquiry of the former public protector, she was not allowed to be legally represented. I mean, during the last days, I know from the beginning she was. I want to find out from the advocate, was that fair for her not to be allowed during the last days? That's the first question. The second question is that she brought a, a recusal application against the chairperson of the Section 194, who refused to recuse himself. Now, I think that there's a judgment of uh, early 20s, whereby uh, SA Rugby Union visited state president and others, the uh, presumption of bias. The court was very clear that to say a mere suspicion is sufficient for any party to bring and refuse application. I want to find out from the advocate, Okay. Based on what I've said, was it fair to the former public protector? Okay. Advocate Gumbi, quick uh, response to those uh, two points that have been raised. I have, I have no idea about whether the recusal application was had merit or not, so I, I'm unable to comment on that. Uh, recusal applications don't always succeed yeah. uh, as a general rule. And then the right to legal representation is, is a fundamental right, so I don't know. Uh, under what circumstances I, I really didn't follow the matter so I don't know under what circumstances was she not represented but it's a fundamental right and everyone has a right to legal representation yeah and then the one of the other voice notes that was saying that um, which judges are you are, are you speaking of here well, I'm not picking on any judges. I'm talking about the judgments. Some of them come from the Supreme Court of Appeal. Some of them come from the Constitutional Court. Some of them come from our High Court. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not picking on judges. I'm talking about judgments. Judgments. I'm with judgments. Yeah. Yeah. Let's quickly go to Hitler, who's joining us from Bosshoff. Hitler, good evening. Good evening, Aldrin, and good evening to my wonderful advocate. She's also from, the, I'm sure, in the free state in Kabanchu, but she's talking for another day. Yeah, I just wanted to ask her about the, the, the limitation clause. Where does 
ends and where does it obtain and where does it continue or whatever. What, what do you mean by that? Quickly, Hitler? Because of the, the limitation clause. It has got, I've, 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 I've discovered a lot of drawbacks in it and a lot of yeah, can you give us an example, Hitler? Yes. The limitation clause says that, no, I was, I don't know that case, but I'll, I'll tell you about it. He said that you got a right, freedom of speech. But when you talk about, when you talk, can you go, if you got freedom of, of speech, there was another guy who was arrested. Arrested just because of, you went into the church and, because freedom of speech, Okay. Um, I, I don't know, Hitler. For me, it sounds a bit vague, but maybe Advocate Gumbi, you are able to interpret what the Hitler is 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 referring to there by all Section 36 of the Limitation Clause. Yes, all of the rights in the Bill of Rights may be limited, but there are there are guidelines about how you limit it. You must have a law, you know, and the limitation must be reasonable and justifiable. So the fact that you have an Act of Parliament saying I'm limiting Aldrin's right to legal representation. That limitation itself can go to court to find out whether it's reasonable and justifiable. If it's not, then it will be thrown out. Um, and just, there are some rights that you really cannot limit. Yeah. Like the right okay. to dignity. Um, just quickly, in, in, in conclusion, um, Advocate mm-hmm. Gumbi, what would you say the priority for the country should be now, um, especially when we look at the judiciary and also making sure that we breathe life into the Constitution? The judiciary must not forget that this country still needs to be transformed and that they are bound by the Constitution. And the Constitution makes transformation imperative and that it was black people that were excluded in this country. They must be bold enough to accept that constitutional imperative. And that's what we want to see. Thank you so we much. We cannot be a historical. Thank you so much for your time. Advocate uh, Mujangu Gumbi there, Chancellor of the University of Venda, as well as Special Advisor to United Nations uh, Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, and also former legal advisor uh, to former President Thabo Mbeki.